So this is Matthew uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, and then picking up again in 13 through 19. The Magi visit the Messiah. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. That's it. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Zeus. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, uh, speak to us now uh, through this uh, word, revelation, uh, that you've given us in your scriptures. Uh, lead our hearts. Uh, lead me as I teach. Uh, Lord, may I uh, only say what you want me to say. Uh, nothing more, nothing less in your name. Amen. All right, so we're uh, beginning our Advent season, which culminates uh, with the birth of Christ that we uh, celebrate on Christmas Day. And uh, if you've been around church, Advent, that word is probably uh, not something you've heard before, but maybe you haven't. Uh, so I just want to say a few things about that before we dive into this text. The Advent is a word that simply means in Latin, coming or arrival, the arrival of someone important, uh, someone that you've uh, likely been waiting for. Uh, like my parents, uh, you know, standing on the porch as we're driving in uh, from Tennessee, they're, they're anxious for our arrival. They want updates along the way, right? Advent means coming, arrival, someone that you're waiting for. And this arrival uh, that Susie just read out of Matthew 2 uh, comes on the heels of a long period of waiting that had been done by the Jewish people. I don't know if you were here last week and you heard Jeremy preach uh, he talked about this kind of in the ending of Nehemiah, that the Jewish people uh, at the end of Nehemiah, remember they were, they were kind of, it's kind of a sour ending to the book, right? Everything's been going great. And then all of a sudden you see this massive step backwards into kind of a spiritual regression, right? And that leads into chronologically in scripture, a 400 year period of silence, right? Like uh, the, you know, cosmic game of quiet mouse begins. And imagine, sorry, Quiet Mouse for the younger uh, folks. You guys know what Quiet Mouse is, right? We play it constantly in our home. Uh, please stop talking. Uh, no, right? Quiet Mouse, right? But Quiet Mouse is tough, right? When you're, you're longing to have communication uh, between you and someone else. This is someone you want to hear from, right? They were enduring a 400-year period of silence. Just think about that for a second. Our country is, is founded in, what, 1776? That's 160 years 
longer than the existence of our country. Silence, right? Long period of waiting. No more prophets, right? No more revelations, no more words from God, just waiting, waiting for something to happen. Really for someone to happen, someone to come. And we sit in this room today, we know that all of the prophets and that all of the priests and that all of the kings in Israel's past only foreshadowed and actually pointed to this moment that we just read about, right? They were waiting unknowingly for this moment, for God himself to break into his creation, right? And to redeem it and all of mankind from its fall into sin. So at Advent, yes, we we look back and we celebrate the first coming of our Messiah Jesus, the one that was prophesied in that passage that Cicely read, right? For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. Okay, we're talking about the baby Jesus, right? Then all of a sudden, doesn't the language shift in here? And the government will be upon his shoulders, right? He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So yes, we look back and we celebrate the coming of this this child, this humble breaking in to time, space, eternity by God himself. Yes, but we also are awaiting something. We are those, this is true about Christians, we are those who have been described as those living between two advents, right? between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. And the second coming, we won't get into Revelation today, but the second coming, it's a little different than the first coming, right? It speaks more and points to this forever ruler on a throne with a great government and peace that will be never-ending. So what we're going to do in this Advent sermon series, what I'm going to try to do, see if we succeed. You can put me on the chart over here. The, gaff- the cafeteria gecko point chart that's gone up? I'm kidding. I just saw that today. I'm like, interesting. We'll start grading each other. What we're going to try to do in this series of Advent sermons, we'll be looking at the first coming of Christ, but looking specifically at the reactions that different people had to this coming and how these stories, these characters interacting with the first coming of Jesus will help prepare us as those who wait, and Scripture says, groan for the second coming of Christ. So immersing ourselves, right, in these stories of the coming of Christ and these people who are interacting with the coming of Christ, our hope is is that this would really enlarge and kind of prepare our hearts and our desire, maybe even challenge our hearts today, what we're going to look at today for Christ's return. That's why we've called the series, Let Every Heart Prepare Him Room, okay? So the first passage we just read, it's a little set up for Advent. There are three main characters in this passage. We're going to look at two this week. Um, The first two that we're going to look at is Herod and the religious leaders or the religious elite folk. And then next week we'll look at the wise men, okay? So two things that I hope uh, we can kind of take away. It was very challenging for me preparing this, so um, I hope it's a challenge in a good way for you. Two things uh, from this text. The threat of Christmas and I did just say that correctly, the threat of Christmas, right? And then the triumph of Christmas, okay? The threat of Christmas and the triumph of Christmas. All right, first thing, the threat of Christmas. Ah, LaCroix, thank you. Fizzy water. Okay, so two two characters we're going to look at this morning, right? Herod and the chief priests and teachers of the law. Those two groups of people had something in common, all right? Even though those two people, those two groups of people, or Herod's not a group, he's a person, right? They were wildly different as well. The thing that they had in common was this. Both of them had power and had influence. Some degree of power, some degree of influence. Herod, or he's known as Herod the Great, was the king of Judea, right? He was put in power over that province, Judea, by Rome, right? And he had incredible, unprecedented political power 
over that region, right? And over the people of that region, which included the Jews. The religious elite people, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they didn't have incredible political power. They had incredible spiritual power. They had, I would call it this, national identity authority, all right, over the Jewish people. So what we just read, if you followed along with what was just read, what makes what we just read about this baby Jesus who was, it says they're born king of the Jews, right? Not born to be king of the Jews. He is king of the Jews. Born king of the Jews, it makes it troubling, right? It's a threat. Because as king, already king, he inevitably poses a threat to other people in power and other people who are ruling in other kingdoms, right? It's not a sweet and delicate matter that a lot of our Christmas carols kind of lure us into, right? It's not a way, a way in the manger. We could sing that right now. It's a threat in the manger, really, okay? It's troublesome for those in positions of power. And Jesus comes first to this group of people, and he comes as a threat. And consequently, because Herod gets this, and so do the chief priests and the teacher's law, consequently, they respond in ways that show Jesus is a threat to my power. Jesus is a threat to my control. Jesus is a threat to my positions. Jesus is a threat. Now, when you think about a threat, right, what, what is our... What's the, the diagnosable, what do you normally do when something's threatening? You have a, a response, right? You have a fight, right, <laughs> or a flight response. Um, I might change it slightly with this group. I'm calling it fight or flighty, right, response, <laughs> right? But Herod's response is what? Herod's response is this, I'm going to fight, right? Because any new kingdom, any new king threatens my rule and threatens my control. And he acts here very clearly out of a deeply threatened place. Herod had achieved a level of peace, although uh, probably achieved it through force, really, right? We're all at peace through my control and my force and rule, my tyranny. He had achieved a level of peace between the Jewish people and the Roman people that he represented, right? So Jesus coming as king it threatened that negotiated peace that Herod had accomplished, right? The Jewish people at that time, they had a degree of freedom to kind of operate, to worship, right, to do their own thing. But it was ultimately under Roman rule. It was ultimately under Roman taxation. So born king, right, as the, as the Magi said, where is this one who has been born king of the Jews? Really, this is a statement, one commentator said this, the emergence of a genuine descendant of the royal line of David has emerged, right? The one who has come, he has a claim to the throne, and so that would have threatened all of this negotiated peace between the Jews and the Romans. So what does Herod do? Well, he reaches out to the people's chief priests and teachers of the law to get a sense of what's going on here, Right? And after hearing the Magi's proclamation, he then even goes on to, in verse 7, Herod calls the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And then he sent to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, right? What's he doing? He's trying to control and manipulate, you know, the Persian astrologers for his own good. He feigns needing help from them to find Jesus and says, I want to go worship him as well, right? But what becomes clear in what we just read is what? His intention isn't to go worship Jesus. It's to eliminate Jesus, right? To eliminate him. Herod was not interested in what God was doing through sending his son. He was interested in preserving his own position and his own authority at all costs. He was, it says they're disturbed. That's a very, very... Um, vanilla English translation way. He, he was enraged. He was deeply troubled to the depth of his person. And it was said in those days that when Herod was troubled and trembled, so did all of Jerusalem because people knew what this guy was like. He was a tyrant, right? So Herod fights, right? Jesus is a threat. 
what about these chief priests and teachers of the law? Well, I'd honestly invite you to consider that it's, it's, one's really easy to see, and one's a little bit harder to see, that this is kind of two sides of the same coin. The chief priests and teachers of the law actually, uh, they don't fight, they're kind of flighty, they're, they, they kind of avoid, right? They're almost indifferent to what they've just heard, right? Maybe you could say they're distracted. They act, or really in many ways passively don't act in this moment, from a deeply indifferent place. I just want you to think about this for a second. Herod goes to them to get confirmation about the location of where the Messiah is to be born. Why did Herod go do that? Well, because Herod was not a student of the law. He didn't know the law the way that they did. He didn't know the prophets the way that they did. They were the expert. They were the sword drill masters, if you grew up doing Bible memorization, right? Anywhere that anything could be located in Scripture, these were the guys to go ask the questions, right? So he goes and asks them about, you know, this star. And they say, you know, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Immediately, boom, right? Micah 5, bing, bing. But to you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means are least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Right? They know exactly where the prophecy's at. They can tell them exactly where it's located, what's going to happen, where it's going to happen. It's going to be in Bethlehem. This is a ruler of Judah, a shepherd for the people of Israel. But Herod leaves, right? And they don't do anything. Think about that. These are the ones who are supposed to be looking, searching, experts, right? The highly religious people. They took no interest in and of themselves in looking into the matter. Why did Herod come asking about this in the first place? It's almost as if they were so preoccupied with their positions at the time, which was a powerful position. They were spiritual leaders. Their positions of power that being inquisitive about this possibly being the moment of the fulfillment of that prophecy, that that would have taken them away from what's truly important to them at that time. You see that? If the, you know, final great, Hebrews refers to Jesus this way, the final great eternal high priest, who is Jesus, is about to come, and he's finally here, then is it possible that their indifference is an acknowledgement that our role as chief priests or as teachers of the law or Pharisees, right, may, lo- may no longer be needed? A lot of scholars actually believe that in this kind of 400 years of silence, that this is actually when the Pharisees became the Pharisees. I don't know if you've ever Obviously, Jesus takes a lot of beef with the Pharisees in the New Testament. Have you ever read the Old Testament and realized, like, where are the Pharisees in the Old Testament? We don't ever hear about them in the Old Testament. A lot of people believe they actually developed in that period of 400 years of silence, right? Experts in the law, but Pharisees were what? They were not just experts in the law. They were experts in adding to the law, tweaking the law, kind of working the law in a way that actually worked for them, that kept them in the position of control. In their waiting for the Messiah to return, which the Messiah was to come do what? Rescue them and reestablish them as a people. They did, I feel for these guys because I'm one of these guys, they did what is easy to do while waiting, right? What do I do when it's waiting? I feel like things are taking too long. It's not going the way that I want it to go. It's very easy to decide, hey, now I'm, I'm actually, I'm not going to wait for that anymore. I'm going to rescue and I'm going to establish myself. And that 400 years of silence, I'll begin to fill in the silence with my voice. It's hard to wait. <laughs> and it's very hard to wait well. In the absence of a leader, right, there was no prophet, there was no priest, there was no king, the people and the religious leaders of the day, they began to lead themselves in whatever way they saw fit. And that was a pattern in Israel. It wasn't just unique to them. It says it in Judges 17, just like a hinge that 
really the whole Old Testament kind of swings on. It says there was no king in Israel and everyone did as they saw fit. So the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees of the day, they were indifferent. Herod is not indifferent. He's enraged, right? So what does this have to do with you and me? What's the threat of Christmas for you and for me? What does this have to do with us? Because you may be sitting there, I was sitting where I was sitting when I was preparing this, and thinking, I'm not Herod. You know, I'm not Herod the Great, I'm not king of Judea, I'm not a, a city councilman, you know, or whatever the, the equivalent of that would be. I'm not a governor, I'm not president, right? I'm also not a chief priest or, you know, a teacher of the law, Right? I'm not the head of a denomination or some big, giant religious movement. It's real, it would be really easy for us to kind of distance ourselves and let ourselves out of the story. And I'm inviting you to not do that right now. Okay? You know, you could say, I, well, I, you know, I'm a school teacher. I work in sales. I'm in healthcare. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not that. But I would challenge us to think that there's some... Herod in all of us, and there's some chief priest and teacher in the law in all of us. And you don't just have to take my word for that. Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray, turned each to his own way. So there's a part of you and me because of sin. It's true that, that I, I want to fight at times, and I, and I want to kind of ignore at times. If I'm really seeing Jesus for who he is, which is Lord and which is King. It made me think of Tom Petty's song, It's Good to Be King. You guys know that song? Yeah? I, will, I would read the lyrics. I know Jeremy read the lyrics last week. He doesn't know that you have to sing when you do lyrics at Midtown Creative Hall. No, it says, what does it say? It's good to be king just for a while. To be there in velvet, yeah, to give him a smile. It's good to get high and never come down. It's good to be king of your own little town. All right, let's sing it together. Yeah, the world would swing. What? Oh, if I were a king, can I help it if I still dream time to time? He goes on to say, excuse me if I have some place in my mind where I go time to time. I like to go to that place in my mind where I'm king. All right? There are places in my life where not just Jesus, because, you know, if you're, if you're seeing Jesus for who he is at Christmas time, he's not just Savior. He's Savior and Lord. If Jesus is just my Savior, then he's no threat to me. So if, if Jesus isn't a threat to you, then, then you're only seeing part of Jesus. Because if he's just a Savior, then he's just my get-out-of-jail-free card. He's grace when I blow it card, and he is that. But he's more than that. You know, when Peter preached in Acts, he said, This Jesus whom you've crucified, he has been made Savior and Lord. So if he's Lord and if he's king, then he has a claim on your life. He's not just the Savior. He's the Savior and the Lord. And so if that's true, then there are places in my life where Jesus wants to come in and he wants to disturb the peace. He wants to come in and say, I want to challenge your sense of control and your authority over your life because you're mine I bought you with a price. You belong to me now. It should cause us to stop and say, is every aspect of my life under his lordship, under his kingship? There are places where he wants to awaken me from my distracted, indifferent, and avoidant state. And if I'm honest, there's Herod in me, and there's chief priest and teacher of law in me, and I, I like them I either kind of want to go, ah, whatever, I, I remember hearing about that, but I'm not going to look into that. Or I'm like, no, because 
I don't want to, deep down in my flesh, I don't want to worship him because it might cost me something. And it's the kingdom of me. So if Jesus isn't a threat at all to you, then you're probably not seeing Jesus and you're definitely not seeing Christmas for what it truly is. Because Jesus is born king. And if you don't see any part of yourself that's acting in this way, this is going to be kind of counterintuitive what I'm about to say, angry or avoidant, then you're probably not seeing Jesus correctly. And I'd say this to you. If you're disturbed, if you're troubled like Herod, if you get angry, I would say to you, good. That's actually good on some levels because at least you're awake to the reality that Jesus has come to topple your little kingdom. You should be angry about that. Your flesh wants to resist and fight against that. So that anger is actually in some ways a good sign. Oh, man. That power and that control and that sense of self-rule, that is counter to the kingdom of God. It's counter to our king. So if you're angry, I'd say, good. Let, let that anger actually lead you to the king. and Let him deal with that. But if you're distracted or indifferent, I just encourage you, that to me is the most dangerous place to be. You should be afraid. Because if we're avoidant and indifferent like the chief priests and the teachers of the law were, that couldn't be a more dangerous spiritual place because you actually believe you're religious and you're playing religion right now rather than having a relationship with the king. What they were doing is basically saying this, we see ourselves in a position to pick and choose how we're going to relate to Jesus, right? I'm comfortable in my spiritual practice and posture. I'm unwilling to give Jesus any more space in my life. C.S. Lewis said it famously, if you're seeing Jesus for who he is, he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. He's one or the, one or the other. You know, chief priests and teachers of the law is kind of like liar and lunatic, like whatever, we're going to kind of ignore him, or Lord, Herod. So it should awaken anger. It should awaken anger. It should be a threat. I know that sounds like, really? I should be angry, and there should be a part of me that's avoidant, but lean into those things because those things can actually lead you to the king. The threat of Christmas, now the triumph of Christmas. Wow, I need to end this. Here's the triumph. We begin to see it here. We'll see it through the rest of the study. Herod tries to kill Jesus, and he fails. God's angel warns Joseph and the Magi, and Jesus escapes, right, through Joseph, while Herod rages, and he takes it out on all the firstborn of the region. That's a horrific, you really lean into what's going on here. It's horrific, but it really shows the depth of Herod's commitment to his own kingdom and his own rule, and it was consistent with Herod. Herod had three of his own sons put to death, so you weren't safe if you were in Herod's family either. So Herod tries to kill Jesus and fails. 33 years later, right, Jesus would go to the cross at the hands of these chief priests and teachers of the law. The religious leaders and the elite, they eventually, it took them a little time to warm up to how angry they were, but they eventually drop their indifference and they become enraged because he is threatening their control and power just like Herod. And guess what? They succeed where Herod failed. They put Jesus to death only to discover what? Three days later, that death could not hold him. And that even his death, his willing submission to the Father's plan, it was all a part of God's plan to redeem his people from sin's rule, from sin's reign in their hearts. And the impact of sin, which was what? Death and eternal separation and relationship from God, who is our King. And so the triumph of Christmas is this, the gospel, the story of God's redemption, Christmas is this. King Jesus, the one born king, triumphs. God's will and God's plan prevails. He is king. And as king, what kind of king is he? 
the one who has absolute power, who hurled the universe into existence as king instead of returning the favor and putting to death all of his unfaithful, rebellious-hearted subjects, what does he do? He's not a king like Herod, and he's not a chief priest, teacher of the law. Instead, he extends grace and mercy and pardon, all at his own cost. He uses his kingly position differently because he's an utterly different king. He's a king who's for the good of us, not just his own good. So here's the invitation. Will you let him be king? I mean, I really want you to think about that this week. Is, is he just my savior or is he my Lord? St. Tim Keller said, if the Son of God is really born in a manger, then we have lost the right to be in charge of our lives. So would you dare to acknowledge or maybe even consider this week that much of the conflict, I mean, you could say it like this, in our nation, in our communities, in our relationships, in our marriages, much of our anger, much of our discontentment with our lives, much of our bitterness, much of our envy, much of even our drive to succeed is just simply the fruit of the fact that functionally I am still trying to live as king of my life. Will you allow the real Jesus to come in and threaten your little kingdom and let him seize control of it Because he is trying to seize control of it, not because he's a megalomaniac like Herod, but because he's saying it's for your good. I am for your good. For unto us a child is born. Will you drop the indifference in this season? Will you not just have a tender Tennessee Christmas? Right? Don't do that. Don't just kind of like blob through it in the comfortable religious life that passes the grade of cultural Christianity of our day. Will you not do that? For really following and worshiping Jesus. Because I'm I'm a pro at that. I'm a pro at hijacking the parts of Jesus like the religious leaders were. Hijacking parts of Jesus to kind of get him to work out my agenda for my life rather than worshiping the Jesus as he is laid out in Scripture for us that is clear. If Christmas is no threat to you, then you aren't seeing Christmas for what it is. He has come to dethrone us. And why is because he never made us to be kings of our lives. He made us to be sons and daughters of a good king, and he is. Would you let yourself become a creature in his kingdom? Made in his image, but not made to be God. He'll love you. He'll set you free. You don't know the freedom on the other side. I, I, I don't know. There's freedom on the other side of letting go of being king of your life. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this word, Mm, even as hard as it is. There's so many places in my life uh, where I still want to rule, I still want to reign. I want to pick and choose what parts uh, you get to invade. Uh, And yet, Lord, you're just such a good, faithful father, king. Uh, You're patient. you're slow to anger, you're abounding in love, but you're committed. And you, 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 will, you will, you're faithful to take back the ground that is yours to take back. So take, take back whatever ground in our hearts you need to this week. Um, if we're angry, would we ask why? Are you threatening my little kingdom? If we're avoiding, would we ask why? Is it because I know if I pay attention to you, you'd want to come in and change some things? Or may, may we not resist you, uh, but may we trust you. Uh, knowing that even in in this little glimpse, we know uh, that you came as a king who emptied yourself, who took on flesh, who humbled yourself because of your great love for us to set us free. Help us to worship you and follow you in this season out of that place in your name. Amen. Stay seated for just a little bit. uh, You can sing if you want.
but I wanted to invite you to begin praying about um, what Dave spoke to us. And then let this song um, fill you with wonder that Jesus is our King and um, maybe bring you to think about what that means. Again, you can sing if you like, but
read what Cicely read for us as our Advent reading, Isaiah 9, 2, 5 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's sing about that. Sing joy to the world. Here we go. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. in this season of the wonders of your love and to repeat the sounding joy and that you do come um, to make your blessings flow uh, and that we don't have to worry about this curse so much as we probably do, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Um, thank you for the kind of king that you are and be with us um, in this Advent season. Thank you for coming once. Thank you that you're going to come again and Thank you for the ways that you are pursuing us always right now. Thank you for this morning. We love you. Amen. Hey, guys, I just wanted to mention something. You might have noticed on the front of the, or actually on the back of the chairs that are in front of you, um, there's now a sticker that has a QR code, and then underneath there is actually a um, 
a, a number that you can text. So you, if you have not opted into our text system, you can text Creve Hall to 94,000, and that will um, add you to our text list. We don't send out a lot of text, but we do want to make sure if we have important information, we want to get that out that way. But there's also a QR code, and if you open up the camera on your phone and scan the QR code, it will take you to either to the Church Center app if you've downloaded that or just to a landing page that has really uh, often some, some important pieces of information that we want to get out to everybody. It will change from time to time, but primarily it will have a lot of the same stuff. So if you're new here, uh, you can go and you can sign up or you can kind of uh, g give us some information that we will can stay connected with you. Uh, there's also um, a button where you can uh, see our e-bulletin every week, so that will change from week to week, but you can always get there. There's also a, a button where you can give, so you can either give a one-time donation or set up a recurring gift. But uh, starting this week, there is a link to um, to our Advent readings and that we will have, uh, that we'll, we'll add each of those week to week, and Janie uh, can give you more of the information on that. Yes. Um, so... What we're going to be doing during Advent this year is we are going to be releasing a, a playlist that will change every week for you guys to listen to on Spotify, if you choose to. And that will include a reading that Dave is going to be um, bringing to us and uh, a handful of songs as well. And there are a couple of reasons why we're doing this. One is that we, as in all of us, like human creatures, <laughs> children, adults, we worship all the time. It's what we do. And we are really good at forgetting that and then worshiping things that don't love us back <laughs> the way that Jesus does. And mm. um, coming to church is a corporate, uh, uh, a group way that we reorient that and that we reorient our our worship, this, this innate thing that we have where we just pour out and long for something to be close to us. This is a way that we, we bring ourselves before the Lord to do that. Um, but something that, that we, the Creep Hall team, long for for you is that you would have more ways to do that um, individually uh, so that you're not just like waiting from week to week gasping for breath when you get here like this is your lifeline like we can we can worship all the time and be redirected toward the Lord so this is this is kind of um, a way that we are wanting to invite you to do that and offering to you and another thing is that this is Advent and in seasons we we tune into different things in that season, just like the Christmas season, all the decorations come out and the music changes. Things happen that remind us, oh, something is, is special about this moment. Something is happening. And what Advent is about is about the fact that Jesus is coming. And this is just um, these playlists, these little personal worship um, opportunities are something we want to offer to you during this season as a way to tune into where Jesus is coming, where is he pursuing you now, where is he pursuing our world now that you can see. Um, the playlists are curated so that you can start from the top and be led uh, in a certain way if you listen straight through, but you don't have to do that. You can kind of bob around and listen to this and listen to that. Um, we invite you to do this daily on your commute to work, while you're eating breakfast, before you go to school, whatever that looks like, but you have the flexibility and the freedom to use it as much or as little as works for you. So that's what the Advent readings and um, on the playlists will be for, and you'll find those labeled as week one, week two, et cetera, via the QR code. Thank you. It's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah, we really do hope that will benefit you. Uh, like when Cicely read that passage from Isaiah, obviously I didn't teach on that passage from Isaiah, but every reading will actually be some excerpt of a book or a reflection on that reading. So it's an opportunity to kind of lean in in that way as well. So uh, e-bullets and stuff, thank you, Jeremy. Uh, and thanks for the hard work everybody's put into this QR code thing. That's all in attempts to help you stay connected to the fact that church isn't something we do on Sundays. We are the church and that we live as the church in the world. So that e-bulletin has things this week about a need that we have at Binkley Elementary, which is one of our partner elementary schools, uh, service need there. Napier, Jonathan is actually here this morning, Napier stockings. I think we have one more week after this week. Uh, so if you want to pick up stockings and help be a part of impacting that community and the community development, loving on that neighborhood, uh, those stockings are out there in the bags that give you instructions are out there. Uh, there's women's gatherings and men's gatherings here in the first weeks of December. So all that's on the e-bulletin. Okay, blah, 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 blah. There we go. It's all out. I'm going to close our time by saying this, because um, I know what we just leaned into this morning. Uh, hey, Christmas is a threat. It's kind of like, wow, that's a little jarring. 
uh, in some ways. But maybe I'll leave you with this picture. My daughter, um, who's three, loves to grab anything and everything, and she believes she's, she's king of her life. And oftentimes, when I grab scissors out of her hand, she feels like I'm trying to dethrone her. Uh, but that is for her good, right? And would you, would you dare to believe that if, if anger awakens in you this, this week or God shows you where you're indifferent or avoidant, um, that like me trying to be a good father to my daughter, he's not coming in to dethrone you as a, as a tyrant. He's coming in because he's saying, child, you were never meant to run with scissors. You were never meant to be king of your life. I was. I am. Uh, and it's good for you if you, if you surrender that position to me. It'll be good for you. So receive this benediction. This is uh, from Revelation uh, at the end of time, the day that we await, right? Uh, this is what will be declared. Revelation 5, 12, and 13. In a loud voice, they, we would be the they. They were saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be praise, and honor, and glory, and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's sing doxology together.